Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators come together and let you know what we've been playing recently. And on this episode are... Meeple and the Moose. Board Game Hot Takes. Dice and Dragons. The Meeple Dungeon. All Games New and Old. Board on the Air, the Bridge City Board Gamers Community, and Cardboard Conjecture. And please, if you have a second, take the time. Look at the show notes. Click on the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. So, enjoy. Hello. My name is Alex, and I write board game reviews over at MeeplingTheMoose.com, and I'm here to talk to you about the games I played this week for What You've Been Playing Wednesday. This week, to shake things up, I met my game group at our local board game cafe. Our local cafe gives free stay-and-play coupons whenever you buy a larger game, so we've all accumulated a handful of those coupons. We always talk about going to the cafe, but the status quo is just to meet at one of our houses. It's usually quieter there. Now, given that our collective collections have exceeded 400 games, the allure of the cafe has diminished. We have a ton of games that we all know and love. The cafe has really become more of a try before you buy spot. Between the panini sandwich and the cookie dough milkshake, we ended up playing four games, all of which I had some level of interest in and I'm glad I had the opportunity to play without having to buy the game first. The first game we played is Scout by Kai Kanjo, which is a quick game in a small box published by Oink Games in 2019. There's something novel about games that don't allow you to rearrange the cards in your hand. The only other game that I've played that comes to mind that utilizes this mechanic is Bonanza by Uwe Rosenberg. The cards in Scout are numbered from 1 to 10 and have different numbers on the top and the bottom. When you get your hand of cards, you can choose to either take them as they're dealt or turn your whole hand around to access the numbers at the bottom. Other than that, you cannot arrange the cards in your hand. On your turn, you can take one of two actions. You can show which has you placing an adjacent set or run of cards from your hand onto the table to become the active set. Remember, you cannot rearrange the cards while they're in your hand, so they must already be in adjacent locations when you want to do a show. If there's already an active set, your showing must be stronger, which means you need to have more cards, or in the case where you have the same number of cards, your cards must be of a higher value than the active set. When you show with a higher set, You take the previous active set and keep it face down near you, which will then act as points for the end of the round. If you can't show, then you can scout, which has you taking one card from the active set and lets you place it anywhere in your hand. If you do scout, then the player who played the active set gets a token that is worth a point for the end of the round. And furthermore, each player can do one scout and show master action once per round. The round ends if after a showing, the showing player is out of cards, or if every other player scouts after a showing. Once the round ends, each player tallies their score and the player with the highest score wins. 
Scout was a cute and fun little game. The rulebook says the numbers are circus members and players are trying to put on the best show while poaching actors from the active set. The theme is really paper thin at best. This is an abstract game of numbers and card positions. I do like the tension of choosing to scout while desperately hoping that one of the other players will show lest the round end early and you're stuck with a whole hand of cards that will actually count as negative points at the end. I also really enjoy the mechanic where scouting the active set weakens it for your neighbor to then overcome with a set of their own. I also really enjoy the mechanic where scouting, uh, taking a card from the active set will weaken it for your neighbor to then overcome it with a show of their own, extending the round. Using the scout and show action that's available to you once per round can be the difference between victory and defeat. Of course, it feels like getting a well-dealt hand of cards is really impossible to overcome with tactics available to you on each of your turn. Being so small and quite cheap, I would recommend picking up Scout. It's the perfect little game to get you over a free shipping threshold if you're buying a games from an online store, and it's the kind of game that can just live in a travel bag. It needs almost no table to play, so a crowded restaurant table could easily accommodate Scout. I played this at three players, but I suspect it's actually better at four or five, just considering that a round will end if two players in a row need to scout after a showing. The next game we played was Super Mega Lucky Box by Phil Walker Harding. Super Mega Lucky Box is That's Pretty Clever mixed with Bingo. Players receive three cards that contain a 3x3 three three grid of numbers on them. The center is a 18 deck of cards, numbers 1 through 9 twice. And the gameplay is you flip over a card from the center and then you can cross off one of the numbers on your 3x3 three three grid that matches that, that card that got flipped over. Should you complete a row or column, you get a bonus associated with that row or column, which can then trigger even more bonuses. Players earn points by fully completing their 3x3 three three lucky box cards, collecting stars, and collecting the majority of moons. After four rounds, the player with the highest score is the winner. Super Mega Lucky Box scoring was dynamic and let players decide if they wanted to focus on completing a single card versus going for all the bonuses earned when a row or column were completed. Every now and then I was forced to make a choice, either take an inefficient action or waste bonuses. If you earn more than three stars in a round, they're lost. If you earn more than the majority of moons, they do nothing extra for you. If you earn a four but have no fours to cross off, too bad, so sad. I like that you can also spend lightning bolts to increase or decrease the flip number, giving you some amount of control over the numbers that you can cross off. It's quite satisfying when you can string three or four bonuses into each other and complete several cards in a single round. It was a fine and cute game. I suspect playing this with some kids would invoke excitement in the little souls, but it's not one that I would play with just a group of adults. And this is where I'm going to stop. We did play a couple more games, but this segment is starting to run a little bit long. I'll save the other games we played for next week. If you'd like to read my board game reviews, you can find them over on my blog at MeepleandTheMoose.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at MoosePeople or on Instagram at MeepleandTheMoose. Have a happy Wednesday. Hey there, this is Tim from the Board Game Hot Takes podcast, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. Now, today I'm going to talk about the game Star Wars Outer Rim. This was designed by Corey Knixa and Tony Fanchi and published by Fantasy Flight Games in 2019. Star Wars Outer Rim, I have to admit, I had very low expectations for. There's something about the concept of a pickup and deliver style game where you're getting a job, moving from one space to another that has always been a little bit dull and felt um, 
kind of redundant to me. And I, I never really wanted to go through that type of gameplay. But I've been a lifelong Star Wars fan, as many of us have. And uh, I've, I've had it in, in the back of my mind. And I, I did kind of want to try this one. Game Nerds had a recent sale and they had it on sale for about $25. And I figured it was the best opportunity for me to pick it up. And spoiler, I'm pretty glad I did. Uh, this is a, a fun game. Now, it is a pick up and deliver game, but let me tell you a little bit about how it works. Basically, on your turn, uh, there's a, a, a kind of a board of all these different planets in the Star Wars universe you can visit. Planets like Tatooine, Nalhada, Naboo, all the planets you know from the movies and the extended universe. And you're going to be moving your ship between these planets picking up bounties, picking up other types of jobs, cargo that you can deliver place to place, and then moving them around and getting rewards when you deliver them. The game ends when you get 10 fame points. So the most valuable reward you can get is fame, but you can also get credits, which are going to allow you to spend to upgrade your ship, upgrade your, your gear, and purchase other bounties and jobs and things like that. Uh, on your turn, the first thing you can do on your turn is you can either take your movement actions for your ship, or you can just get 2,000 credits if you just want to stay in the spot that you are, or you can heal any damage on your ship. Now, usually you're going to spend this moving your ship because that's a big part of this, this, uh, this game. But what I like about that is that it's not like you're spending an important action that you're doing. It's not an important part of your turn. It's just automatic. So the movement part doesn't feel like you're wasting energy, you're wasting actions. The second part of the turn is you can take any actions at the location you're at. If you're on a planet, there's a market of cards available to you. It's six different piles of cards, and there's always one face-up pile in each of these cards. So you can always take a market action. The, the, uh, the, the things you can purchase are going to cost anywhere between zero and up to like 20,000 credits. It can be a new ship. You can upgrade your ship. It could be gear, something as simple and generic as like a targeting computer for your ship or a quad laser cannon. But it can also be something very exciting and specific like Mandalorian armor. And uh, you, this, you, this could be very powerful, but of course, the more powerful they are, the more expensive they are. You could also take any actions that are relevant to that location, but most of the time in this phase, you're just going to be purchasing things and you know upgrading your character, upgrading your ship, and getting more jobs to go on. The third part of the phase, though, is what gets really exciting. So in the third part of the, of, of the, the turn phase, this is where you're going to have an encounter. The encounter is either going to be an encounter with one of the patrol ships that are going to be moving across the board. It's going to be an encounter on the planet that you're at, or it's going to be an encounter with a character that's on one of the planets that you're at. So it doesn't matter if you've actually picked something up that turn or made a delivery that turn, you can always do something on your turn. There's always something fun and exciting. These encounters are usually resolved by either flipping over a card related to the planet and reading a little bit of story segment, and maybe it's going to give you a new bounty to pursue. Maybe it's going to be a crew member that you that you meet and you can roll a skill check and hire. Maybe it's going to be um, uh, you know, a fight that you have to get into. Um, so there's always something fun and interesting on your turn, even when you haven't actually done the pick and the delivery part of your turn. And that's what I really love about this. Um, there, uh, there is a, some interesting mechanisms with the characters. Every, everybody plays one of the kind of darker characters of the Star Wars universe, one of the, the scum and villainry. It could be Boba Fett or IG-88, the famous bounty hunters, but you could also play someone like Lando Calrissian, Han Solo, or Jin Erso. Um, each of these characters that you start with have uh, you know, some, some special action they can do typically and a personal goal that if you can meet that goal, you can flip it over and get some benefit for it. So it gives you each player kind of a different driving motivation right at the start of the game to start getting some of that fame that you need to win the game. 
Um, also, one of the cool things that you can purchase here is a, an upgraded ship. Everybody starts with a generic ship that it has some some standard uh, movement points, some some uh, attack points, as well as some shields uh, when you get into conflicts out in the space part of the board. But in the market, you can purchase upgraded ships, and these are great. Uh, you know, they they may be uh, a, a famous bounty hunter ship like Boba Fett's ship, or it could be the Millennium Falcon. And each of these ships are a little bit more powerful, but they also have their own individual goal. And this goal will get you some kind of fame points when you achieve it, but you also then get to flip the ship over and it gets an upgraded ongoing ability. So the ships, the, the variety and what you can do here, the ships you can purchase, the types of gear that you're going to get, as well as all the different missions you can pick up are pretty exciting. Let's talk about these missions for a second. Now, um, some of them are going to be as simple as some cargo. You'll add it to your ship and you just have to bring it to another location. You turn it in for some benefit. There's also a legal cargo. So when you get to that uh, that location, then you have to do a, a roll of the dice and see if you can actually achieve the delivery. If you can't, then you turn over this card that gives you some skill checks you can go through. So you have a shot to do it again, but it's risky, it's dangerous. But there are, of course, some lucrative rewards for it. There are also jobs you can pick up. The jobs um, are a little bit more complicated. They might ask you to uh, locate a certain character and, uh, and, and meet them and recruit them. And then there's bounties and bounties are the most exciting. Now at each system you go to, there are a couple of randomly down, randomly face down seated characters that you can interact with. So when you have an encounter on a planet, you can flip one of those characters over and then there's a little storybook that goes with it. But if you have a bounty, you're going to be looking for some of these specific characters. And if they've either been flipped up by another character, or if you get lucky and flip it over at your planet, you can get in a fight with it. You can either just kill them, which is usually going to be for a smaller bounty, or you can take them in. And if you can capture them and then deliver them back to the planet uh, that, that is looking for them, then you're going to get some extra benefits. And this is another way you're going to get fame. So there's all kinds of really thematic encounters, experiences, equipment, ships, characters that you're going to meet in this game. And I think that's what really elevates it above a, a traditional pick up and deliver type of experience. If you're a fan of Star Wars, um, I think you'll really enjoy this. I, I certainly did. Uh, it is got a bit of a luck, uh, you know, a little bit of a luck uh, element to it. You know, if you happen to get lucky, you flip over a, you know, a, a bounty that is right next door to you, or you happen to flip over the right character right at the right time. There's a little luck there. So from a competitive you know, basis, you have to roll with that and expect that. But I still think this is really fun for Star Wars fans. It may go a little bit long at four, four players. I think two to three players is going to be the prime, um, you know, kind of the prime uh, uh, player counts for this game. But it's going to move briskly enough and you get to have this big, fun, epic thematic experience. I also did enjoy the solo game with him. So that was Star Wars Outer Rim. I think it's worth a check if you're a Star Wars fan. I really enjoyed it. If you'd like to hear more of our reviews, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts at Board Game Hot Takes. And you can also find us on Twitter at BG underscore Hot Takes. Until next time, take care, everybody. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dice and Dragons. And you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram at Dice and Dragons, and on Twitter at Dice and Dragon. And what is it today, Julie? It's what you've been playing Wednesdays. And what game have we been playing? God Tier. So this is published by Steamforge Games. It is a 
two to four, well, sorry, it is a two-player skirmish game. I was thinking four players because you can play with a max of four different champions. Now, this is a review copy that we got from Steamforge Games. So we did get the Eternal Glade starter set as well as a few different champions. And the recommended uh, play setup for this is with each player controlling three champions and their followers. So while you're doing the game, try to control the objectives, defeat the other players, followers, and champions in order to score the most points. And the first play of the five points will win the game. So Julie, what did you think of God Tier? Well, the minis are, are quite cool. They're quite detailed. Uh, I thought that was, uh, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, if you've been listening to us either here or on our YouTube uh, YouTube reviews, you probably already know that I keep saying that I am not the biggest fan of competitive games, and Jason keeps correcting me and saying that I get pretty good at them or I uh, enjoy them quite a bit. Um, Depends on the type of game. Yeah, so we played, recently we played another skirmish competitive game. We played the, uh, the Disney... Uh, yeah, the, the Disney uh, Epic Alliance. Yes. And that one I didn't mind. Uh, this one is like taking it up an extra level on the level on uh, strategy and and thinking things through and really staying on point to the very end um, of the round. You cannot let your guard down or let the strategy go no matter how much you're in advance because there are some things that really sway the points quite a bit. Yes, there was one round where I thought was for sure that Julie was going to win it, and she ended up moving one of her followers, which gave me the oper the opportunity to swing the round entirely in my favor. In, in fact, Jason said, there's no way I can win this, you're running away with it, and so I'm like, yeah, I am, and I let my guard down, and I guess that was part of his strategy, because I let my guard down, I forgot which players he had yet, I had set up this wall around what I needed to protect, and my last turn came, and I moved my follower, and Jason's like, yee and he won it and I ended up getting zero wins zero points that game and that takes me to the fact that at three characters in this game it is a long game now now apparently uh some of fellow content creators that are on this show actually Rob and Anna Marie apparently play this very quickly uh, play this often enough that they can play it fairly quickly. For us, this last game was close to the three-hour mark. Now, maybe part of me was getting analysis paralysis, but the point I'm getting at is that this is a large time investment uh, in in a game that you win or lose. And and that comes back to the what I started I'm going to disagree with you on the large time investment in terms of winning and losing. I will say that it is a large time investment to learn the game to play it quickly. So you are 100% right. In order to even get to the point where it'll take, you know, maybe the 45 minutes to 60 minutes, you got to learn all of your armies inside and out. And that's going to be with a lot of long games. Yeah, this game was almost three hours to end up losing. Uh, you know, and I, I know some would argue it's not about winning or losing. It's about playing the game, blah, 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 blah. I'm too competitive. <laughs> and that's not, you know, that's why I love com cooperative games because... You know, you play together and you win against the bad guys. You know, you win against the forces of evil. Or, you know, we've played other games where you just win because you're the bad guys. You know, there's one or two games that we've played like that. Village Attacks was a lot of fun. Yeah, so that being said, um, this game this game seems like it does what it's supposed to do. Uh, and it could be a lot of fun from the point that, you know, Jason and I have talked about this quite a bit now. Jason really likes this game. 
I don't like it because I don't like this type of a game. It's not no fault of the game. The game is doing what it's supposed to do. If you so basically what I'm going to say, because we're getting on the five minute mark and I know we want to start wrapping up what our thoughts. If you are like me, if you've listened to what I've had to say, either here or at our YouTube reviews, this is probably not the game for you. I did not love this game. I have no intention of ever playing it again because we have so many other games that I would rather spend time playing. Again, no fault of this game. It's just not for me. Jason. Uh, no reason to watch our video after all of those comments, but you should still check it out anyway so you get a nice... There's a lot more nuance <laughs> to, you know, like I'm painting it black and white here. It's a little good, has more shades of gray in the review and a lot more nuance, but, you know, sum it down to it. I didn't love it. I don't recommend it. I wouldn't play it again. again. But Jason has a completely different opinion. Yes, I really enjoyed this game because I think it's one of the best skirmish games that I've played. I haven't played too many, but just giving an example, we did play a lot of one versus many games, and while we did enjoy those, we ended up preferring playing those games as cooperative games more. Part of it was just to the setup and the management, and competitive games are very similar to skirmish games. It's just that in one game, you've got a team versus another team. And actually, one thing you could do, you could easily convert this to a game where you can play two teams. Each player controls their own champions. And what I like about the game is it's very quick to set up. You pick your champion, you pick your positions, and you're good to go. Now, there is definitely a lot more nuance to that and a lot more that can be done in this game because different champions will work well together. Uh, champions such as Helena that can bring back some very powerful followers uh, when you're playing different champions that maybe only have one or two followers make a very big difference. That's why you really need to learn your followers inside and out so that you're able to best execute your strategy. And there's also different classes of followers from Maelstrom, Slayers, Shapers, and Andra, and there's the Guardians. So I'm not quite sure which one you would, uh, which champion type is the best, but I do like the fact that there's just a lot of variety and the setup time is a huge factor for me because if you take the time to learn this game inside and out, you can set it up, tear it down, and it's going to go very quickly, which is just a huge advantage, I think, compared to a lot of the skirmish games that are on the market right now. Also, the cost compared to some other games like Warhammer make a big difference. So I think I've summed up enough what I think about God Tier. We've got two very different opinions. And if you're looking for something that's going to be fun, well, I think you should check this out if you need a new skirmish game. And best way to pick it up is definitely look at the starter sets and go from there. And on that note, we'd like to remind everybody to... Keep playing games. Hello, everybody. It's Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon, and I'm here recording again for the What You Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. I'm flying solo today, um, more so because I'm chatting about uh, games that I played during a recent game session with a few of my friends, and uh, it's kind of a uh, a special kind of sad one. One of our friends he got a um, a one year work visa over to New Zealand. So very exciting for him, um, but it'll be the last game night he'll be able to participate in for a while. So I'm just going to chat about the uh, games that uh, that we played. So we started off the night with Dice Forge. Now, I know I've spoken about this one again, but they had never played it. So uh, it's from Libelude, 
and it's a quick game. It doesn't matter what your player count is, the game plays quickly. About 45 minutes. Um, so this game, it's where you're basically, you've got a nice board that has a whole bunch of tiles in it. By the tiles, I mean die face, because your um, your the dice that you have, you tick out little uh, the die faces and you can upgrade them so it just helps to power up your your dice so in uh, during your turn you're going to do one of two things it's very easy you're going to make an offering to the gods which is essentially paying gold you've accumulated to upgrade your die faces or you're going to perform a heroic feat which is gathering one of the cards laid out on the other board um, which basically will give you game end scoring points it will give you um, uh, instant effects or constant effects throughout the rest of the game so um, you choose what you're going to do you pay the cost and you uh, and then you you go on to the next person. Nice thing with this game, it's got player interaction during every turn because at the beginning of everybody's turn, everybody gets to roll their dice and move up their um, their you know whether it's gold or whether it's the moon shards or the sun shards. So you get to move or your or victory points. So you get to move them up every turn, and um, and so when when the when it comes around to your turn, you've at least been able to accumulate some things. So it's pretty quick. And uh, yeah, it's a fantastic, fun game. They had a, a lot of fun with it, wanted to play it again. Um, so Dice Forge, great game, simple to play, and just a ton of fun. Uh, the next game we played, well, I didn't play this one. I was brushing up on rules for the next game we were going to play. And while I was doing that, uh, they played a few games of Cluster. Now, I know we talked about this one recently. Simple, got a shoelace as a, you know, kind of a somewhat circle. <laughs> and uh, and then you have a bunch of magnets. And everyone has an equal amount. And you have to place your magnets down one by one in turn order. Uh, trying to get rid of your magnets first but they're magnets so if you place a magnet and it uh, it connects to uh, it, it pulls in any other magnets that attach to it you have to take all of those and then you've got you've got more magnets to try to get rid of so they played cluster they played a few games of that one lots of laughing it always startles you when the magnets clack together so that's always interesting um then we put that away and we dove into mantis falls now again i know we've spoken about this one again they had never played it and i didn't play this one because this is maximum three players so i sat back and I kind of taught them and, and led the game while they while they played. This is a, a, a hidden um, hidden traitor game, sort of, but maybe not. Uh, there may or may not be an assassin in your game. You could all be witnesses, or there could be one assassin in there. And the point of this game is you're trying to make it through Mantis Falls. You've basically witnessed something you weren't supposed to see, and uh, there's maybe or maybe not somebody after you trying to make sure you don't make it out of Mantis Falls. Mantis Falls is a mob-ruled city, so a mob-ruled town. So you get out of uh, your, your, it's a, there's cards that you lay down for the roads, and uh, you have cards in your hand that will, you know, dictate what you can do in your, on your turn. And it's really interesting because the cards you play out, oftentimes they're going to do something bad to the other players, so it's not easy to tell if they're traitors 
or if like if they're an assassin or if they're a witness, because you you have to essentially hurt other people. (laughs) Um, And they have a really neat mechanism where if you've reached your max health, like you've been wounded up to your max health, there is what there is what's called the last gasp. And in that last gasp, you you can play cards from your hand to try to if you have healing cards to try to reduce your health. If you can't, you the game ends. So that can end a game. Or if you make it to the end of the road, um, everybody makes it to the end of the road. The witnesses basically win if all the witnesses make it to the end. Um, if you don't make it to the end and, you know, somebody dies, the game is over. Like, you, you kind of don't win. You lose in a tie. So the witnesses cannot win if a witness dies and the assassin can't win if he dies or if all the witnesses make it to the end. It's not easy to make it to the end. It's very tough. But um, we have done a full episode, a full review of Mantis Falls on um, on the Meeple Dungeon podcast. So um, I highly encourage you to go take a listen to that. If you're interested, this game is fantastic. Um, all around, had a great game night. Uh, Dice Forge was so much fun. They enjoyed Cluster. Mantis Falls, fantastic. And way too many snacks, uh, but a lot of fun, you know, saying farewell to our friend for years. So he's going to have a great time in New Zealand and hopefully uh, pick up some games that maybe I can't acquire here and we can play them when he gets back. So that is all for us. Uh, Check us out on the Meeple Dungeon podcast. We're on YouTube and Twitter at Meeple Dungeon. And that's all we have for this week. Have a great week, guys. See ya. Hi, everybody. This is David Rodriguez from the All Games New and Old YouTube channel. Uh, Recently, I was able to spend a little time at Dragonflight, which is a small gaming convention up here in the Pacific Northwest. My wife had a booth there because she sells custom fabrics, and so I was up there for about a day and a half helping her with the booth and also playing games. One of the games I played uh, was a game I recently picked up called Marvel Remix. Now, uh, I picked this up because, for one, I really like Marvel, but also I had been eyeing the game Fantasy Realms for a while. I'd heard good things about it, but I hadn't made the plunge. And what I've heard is that Marvel Remix is basically a reskin of that with just a few minor changes. And I really do like that Marvel theme. I know some people are tired of it, but I still really enjoy it. So I decided to pick it up. I took it to this convention, and I was very pleased to learn that it is very simple to learn to play. Basically, what it is, is you are trying to end up with the best hand of cards at the end of the game. So there are going to be two decks in the middle of the table. You're going to have your remix deck and your villains deck. And you're going to start with a hand of six cards from the remix deck, which is a mix of heroes, equipment, allies, and a few other things as well. And you're going to have one villain in your hand as well. Now, one thing to keep in mind is at the end of the game, your hand has to have at least one hero and at least one villain. If you don't, then none of your cards are worth any points. So, important to keep that in mind. So, you have this this remix and villain deck, and on your turn, you are going to draw a card from one of those decks, 
put it in your hand, and then discard another card. And when you discard a card, that goes in the middle of the table, but you don't uh, you don't create a pile of them. You keep them face up, and you have them spread out so everyone can see those cards in the discard area. So once a card has been discarded into that area, that is one more area that you can pull a card from, put in your deck, and then discard another card. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to create a variety of combos that will give you points. So the cards are all going to have various symbols on them. They call them tags. And they will have some text on there that might say something like, if you have two other cards with the symbol, then you add this to the score the card gives you. Because almost every card will have a score at the top or a power level. And they'll be worth that many points. But you can increase those by getting combos. The villain cards usually are worth quite a lot of points, but they also do something negative to you. Something that is either going to take away points somewhere or make you have to have certain things in your deck uh, to get points. Um, there is one keyword that tricked me a couple times, and that is uh, the blanked keyword. So twice I messed myself up at the end because twice I had villain cards that would say something along the lines of one of your heroes is going to be blanked. So in other words, if I have two heroes in my hand, I'm still okay at the end, but if I only had one, which is what I did, I technically didn't have a card in my hand because when a card is blanked, it gets rid of everything on them. They don't count as a hero, they don't count as points, none of their tags mean anything, and that's pretty brutal. I got my hero blanked once, and I got my villain blanked once, and I didn't have any in my hand. Now, as you might guess, from what I've said, this may not sound like a very heavily thematic game, and it's really, really not. I have a lot of Marvel games, and this might be the least thematic of them. It's not entirely bereft of any theme, but um, it's very minor. So, so for instance, there are some cards that will give you more points if you have uh, certain other cards. So for instance, if you have Thor, you might get more points or some kind of a, a bonus if you also have the card for Mjolnir. So it's a very specific thing. Obviously, Thor and Mjolnir go together. So there's a few like that. Uh, other than that, though, there is not too much theme. Like You're not fighting the villains in your hand. They're a kind of necessary, if sometimes difficult, part of your hand. I did notice that the game I did the best on was when my entire hand was filled with X-Men characters, including the villain. So it could be that the way the, the various bonuses are on the cards is kind of affected by if the characters make sense together. I'm not entirely sure because it would probably take a lot more plays to really get an idea of that. But that does seem to be a possibility. So there is a little bit of theme there as well. But if you want a heavily thematic experience, this is probably not it. Usually that would bother me because I am very much a theme-orientated person. I always have a movie going on in my head when I'm playing a game. So if a game doesn't have a lot of theme, I just don't feel like I'm doing much of anything interesting. But because this game is so short, it ends when you have 10 cards in the discard area. It, uh, it doesn't bother me too much. I am so focused on making those combos and trying to figure out how to maximize my hand that I'm not too bothered that the theme isn't super strong. I still get to play a game that is shockingly thinky, and I get to see really cool pictures of art and characters that I like a lot. So overall, I have very positive feelings towards this game. Uh, we'll be doing a review of it uh, very soon, so look out for that. But, you know, if you have been eyeing Fantasy Realms and if that game sounds good to you, but you like the Marvel theme a little better, 
definitely check it out. I think it'll be worth your while. So again, I am David Rodriguez from the All Games New and Old YouTube channel. You can also follow me on Twitter at All Games New and Old or on TikTok at All Games New and Old. Hope to see you there. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we are Board in the Arrow Weekly Radio Show in Saskatoon, and this is What Have You Been Playing? On tonight's show, we are talking about... Gutenberg. From Portal Games. It's a one to four player game. Yep. Where it's done between six or five or you, you five rounds. S- five actions. Six, six rounds? Five. Six rounds, five actions per round. Yes. Possibly. Yeah. So... It's, you go in turn order. There's a first, second, third, fourth player like usual. However, yep. the only real difference is how many cubes you get. Because cubes are your action. Yeah, th- there's a bidding action or a bidding phase. Uh, they call it planning, where however many cubes you are, you're going to allocate those across the five actions. And you can ignore actions if you don't want to do it that turn. Uh, but the more cubes you have there, there's a better chance of you going first in that uh, action as you can work your way from top to bottom. Yeah. Top action is taking orders, which have a... Needing certain letters. Yeah. And needing certain inks or certain levels on tracks. Yeah, I, I think they call them decorations or refinements. Yeah. Uh, the more, if you fill, you have to fulfill the... The characters, and then the refinements give you bonus points on top of that, or bonus money, bonus actions. A bonus. A bonus, yeah. Uh, second one, you take inks. Which you can take up to three inks. Yeah. If there, there's four spots on the board, and you can take up to three from an area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's four different colors of ink, red, blue, yellow, gray. Yep. Uh, third action is improvements. Yeah, you're getting... You're getting the symbols to move up on the tracks to reach your requirements on your refinement cards. Yeah, there's four tracks you can move up. Uh, The higher you go up, the better it is. And certain levels you get an immediate benefit, and at the high and at the top three you get points at the end. Yeah, it's one of the ways for end game scoring. Uh, Fourth action. The fourth action is the gear action. That's where you're picking up these gears, putting them on your board, and they give you bonus actions you can take during your turn. Yeah, think Zolkin. You get three three gears. As you turn, they all move, and they're going to move in different directions. And you're trying to set them up to give you the best actions at on, on certain levels, or yeah. certain rounds. And then your fifth action... Your fifth action is the guests, or... Oh, the... Uh, Patrons. The patrons, that's what it's called. Yeah, you have to meet certain levels and then you get a patron. Uh, the first two rounds, you just get a bonus. Yeah, uh, you go there, you can get move up a track, get two inks, get three money, or just take a contract. Yep. And then everything else is like an objective, where it's like you need to pay two ink of this color and be this level of this refinement or yeah. tech. Yeah, it's uh, you need to either have a couple of inks or a couple of characters, or on the one of the tech or one of the different tracks, you have to be at a certain level. A big draw for me to this game was the letters, which they're all wooden pieces and they're all reversed, so they look like they've actually been for a press where you press. Yeah, them th- 
they're, they're like stamps, basically. They're all made out of wood. They're nice, chunky, chunky pieces. Uh, it's the best production value of the game. Uh, the gears are sharp. Uh, they work well. The inks are really basic compared to those characters. Yeah. Uh, it looks like most of the money went into those characters. Well, in they're game. solid wood and chunky. It's yeah. a lot of money for that. Exactly. Uh, the game itself, as we said, lasts five or six rounds. And you start out, you're just, I want to do actions. And as you go on, it's like, no, I need to do this action first. Yeah. Uh, Espe- and- especially after playing the game once. Yeah. The first time you sort of, you have a general idea, so you just sort of do stuff. The second one, second round, you're like, second time to play, okay, these refinements, they are very important. <laughs> yeah, uh, in-game scoring is point for every three money, uh, the refinement tracks, the... Contracts, no, con- no. contracts are at the game, will give you points, but... Yeah, uh, that's the ongoing. Patrons. Uh, the patrons give you eight points per each patron, and, you know, in a three-player game, I think there's... Six se- patrons out. Six available. Uh, and in a four-player game, there's eight. Uh, so there's a little bit of battle to get those. And there's not a lot of endgame scoring, but there's usually enough to turn the tides. So it's, yeah, you, you're never out of it. Uh, every time we've played, people have done different things, and everybody stays pretty close to each other. Yeah, I would say. Usually we've been within 15 to first and last. but Yeah, which, you know isn't a huge gap in this game, I didn't think. Yeah, there's plenty of cards that will get you, like, 11 points just for doing a contract. Yeah. I really like the planning phase. I like that it's it's hidden. Nobody knows what you're doing until you reveal. Uh, that whole, I want to go first here. Uh, if two people tie, whoever the first player is for that round Breaks is the tiebreaker. Tie. And then you go in turn order from that point. But uh, the first player has the least amount of tokens to bid yeah. with. Yeah, like, so, because... Yeah, it goes like 7, 8, 9, or 10 is the four amount of tokens you can have, which, you know, having those extra tokens can allow you to really push towards something, but that tiebreaker is really key yeah. in that first player. Uh, really solid game. Uh, we played it twice this week and had a really good time both times. Yep. Uh, this one came out at Essen last year and caught my eye right away. And once it hit... Uh, Amazing stories. We uh, went and picked it up because it, it looked like something we were going to enjoy, and we really did. Yeah. It's a nice, clever little mix of the bidding with moving up tracks and also contract completion. Yeah, a little bit of engine building in there with the gears as well. The one thing we've discovered is that you start off with a decent amount of money, but as the game goes on, money gets really tight, even though it's only used for one thing. Two. One. You're buying inks with it, and you're buying characters. Yes. Uh, the characters, uh, you start with three. Your fourth one costs you four dollars, fifth one five dollars, sixth one six dollars. So they get expensive. Uh, you use them once per round for completing contracts. Uh, so you need to have a bunch if you want to do multiple contracts. Yeah. Uh, found that some people rush through their contract or orders. Half did their con- <laughs> And some wait and get bigger bonuses. Uh, if you complete all of your refinements, you get more. Yeah. Uh, So that is Gutenberg. I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we will talk to you next week.
Hey there, it's Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And it is time to see what the community has been playing. So, Bridge City Board Gamers, what you been playing? Jason, Brass Birmingham this week. Just one game, Brass Birmingham, that solid, Martin Wallace. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty heavy game, pretty deep game, but yes, great game. Uh, Jeff, lots of Spirit Island. Uh, yeah, I'm envious, first of all. Uh, if Spirit Island, if you've never heard of it, it's uh, take Catan and then flip it around where uh, you play the island or the spirits of the island and you're trying to chase away the colonists and inhabitants. And uh, you're, yeah, you're tr- it's the, it flipped the table on that one. It's awesome. And uh, it's cooperative, but uh, I've never seen that whole quarterbacking issue happening in Spirit Island because you are so preoccupied with what's going on and in, in what you've got to deal with that even if people are doing things, uh, you, yeah, it, there's just not the time and, and it's just so deep. And uh, the synergy around everything was is so fantastic, M- pushing and pulling and moving the whole puzzle is awesome. Uh, I just about went into a review there. Uh, Mike didn't play a lot, but got some quality games played. Star Wars Villainous is definitely the worst out of the bunch. Oh, I love that IP. Doesn't mean it has to work with everything, right? Didn't care for Moff Gideon as a character. Liked General Grievous when we played last, though. So I'm going to have a little, got a little thing here. So I also played... Uh, my father's work, Honey Buzz, and Cascadia. Ooh, I'm going to talk about some Cascadia too, so we'll we'll hang on to that. But uh, yeah, I've not played. Yeah, I've only I've only played Cascadia out of that bunch, I believe. So uh, yeah, I'll hang on to the uh, to the mention. Tim, it looks like he's playing uh, Age of um, uh, uh, Warhammer, Age of Sigmar. Uh, it doesn't say, just has a picture. Uh, let's see. There is there. Uh, no, that's on to hand. So, Tim, yes, uh, that's uh, definitely a minis area control. I've got to look deeper into that. That's awesome. Hands at the gates of Loy Yang. One of my one of my uh, favorite uh, uh, Uwe Rosenberg games. Uh, Black Angel. Xavier George. Love it. Got it. Spring Meadow. Have not played it. Uh, Indian Summer, um, I know that's a Uwe with the whole polyomino thing. Uh, Arc Nova, yeah, fantastic. I'm digging uh, the solo play on that. Viticulture, I just got the cooperative uh, expansion to that and I can't wait to play. Of course, Terraforming Mars, Azul, and uh, uh, Stained Glass of Sinatra. Is that right? A little bit of Frank? Um, no, I won't start singing, but, but I am thinking in my head witchcraft right now. So, you know, but not that kind. Uh, Sean, too many bones. Ooh, chip theory stuff. Hope you didn't get a sword in the mail. I don't know what's going on with all of that. Um, uh, too many bones. Yeah, that's a dungeon diver. Um, uh, the, the too many, uh, the chip theory games version of dungeon diving. So cool. A lot of people absolutely love that game. I've not played it, so I can't really ring in on it. But it looks so cool, and uh, the publisher has a good track record. Lane, Onk, last night, five-player. All players 
We're with three points at conclusion. Nice. Uh, played the crew and unmatched. Awesome. Ryan is doing, I think it's, yeah, it's unmatched. Um, and it is Hell's Kitchen. And he's doing it with uh, Rob from Meeple Dungeon. So uh, if you're hearing this and it's both before the Wednesday evening, go check it out. Uh, Eli, Lorenzo Il Magnifico. And uh, I say Magnifico because that's a fantastic game. I haven't played it in a long time. Oh, I, mean, I, should, I should just make a garage con and see who wants to come. Yeah, if you want to do a garage con, uh, email me at norm at cardboardconjecture.com and, we'll, uh, and I'll, I'll be convinced and we'll, we'll do a garage con before the snow hits. Uh, Garth. Uh, it's been a year since I've dived into First Martians. I love the theme, and it's such an interesting crisis management simulation. I hope to try out the first campaign next week. I've not heard a single thing about this. This looks so cool. Uh, I'm going to, yeah, I'm writing, I'm going to write that one down. Uh, Joseph went to Falcon in Calgary. Oh, I missed it. I, did, I couldn't go with anybody. Oh, I should have posted, then that way I could have, like, met up with somebody, but I didn't want to go by myself, right? So, but... Uh, Carnegie, love it, Xavier George. Uh, Messina, nine, uh, 1347. I haven't played that one. It looks so cool. Uh, Wonderland's War, another one that looks cool I've not played before. Rococo, oh, Rococo is so good. Arc Nova, again, so good. Um, wow, you know what? We got Gamer's Garage tonight. It's my pick. I might pick Rococo. Yeah, I mean, we played a lot. But uh, yeah, so there you go. There is, uh, there is uh, the lineup so far of those people in the community who have played. And uh, now it's my turn, and I'm going to talk about, um, I'm going to talk about a couple games, but uh, I'm going to talk about Cascadia, uh, uh, designed by Randy Flynn and uh, uh, published by AEG and Fallout. And I think it's Fallout, yes. Uh, again, conjecture, I, that's my pass. Um, Cascadia, when the year came out, that was my favorite game of the year. And it, and it consistently ranks up there. We played it last week at Gamer's Garage. And, uh, yeah, it, it's such a great, fantastic two-layered puzzle. Uh, if you've played, uh, any kind of, uh, tile laying or like map building, like you've got a hex tile and there's a, you know, the, first of all, there's a market of tiles, which are the different terrains which uh, when there's a connected, there, when there is a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, contiguous uh, connection of similar terrain, you get to count those points. And if you have the most, then you get bonus points. That's in the terrain side of counting. And there's five or six different terrains. Uh, on the, now in those terrains, because it's Cascadia is the, the Pacific Northwest, you know, Seattle, uh, you know, Washington State and B.C. kind of thing, and a little bit down Oregon kind of thing, Northern California. Um, and uh, so th those terrain, that those areas have to be populated. And each of those tiles has, have symbols on what animals are ca uh, capable of uh, occupying that terrain. And so when you go to draft these, you have they come out in the market as pairs, a tile and an animal, and uh, you have to you have to draft them in pairs. Now, of course, there's acorns to break those rules, and there's acorns to break other rules, but that's the general sense. 
So on your turn, you pick a tile, you pick its matching, you pick its randomly selected pairing of animal, and you don't necessarily have to put them in the same spot, but it's now, once you put them in, they're locked. And how the points work is, like I said, I, I described how the points work with the terrain, but with the animals, this is the cool part. There's five or six different animals, and each of those animals itself has five or six different cards, depending if you have expansions, um, and uh, those cards represent... Uh, um, uh, groupings, I would say. Groupings or ways or configurations. That's the word I was looking for. Configurations of how these animals are presented on that terrain. And uh, it t tells you if, if there's, uh, you know, uh, um, one, two, or three, or, you know, the, the incremental uh, proportion of uh, little to more and, you know, little points to more points. And, uh, yeah, it is such a... My brain just loves that puzzle. So, uh, and it's, it's not one of those, there's no, I mean, it's not one of those kind of locked in to, you know, uh, uh, you know solitaire kind of things, but uh, there is, you know, shoulder looking to see who's working on what terrain. And it's like, oh, is that, you know, worth the race or have I got that locked? Should I focus on something else? So it's a, oh, it's a fantastic game. And the solo play is great too. So, uh, that's Cascadia. Um, and just today, like uh, like minutes ago, uh, I just finished, Ryan came over and we had a uh, two-player gamer's garage and played Radlands by um, uh, Roxley Games and uh, immediately was reminded of Netrunner. And um, if, if anybody doesn't remember Netrunner, it's this idea of... Uh, well, in Netrunner, you have servers that you have to protect and you put programs in front that they, you know, hackers have to like push through. In this case, Radlands, it's this dy dystopian society, uh, you know, kind of uh, um, <laughs> mad. You don't want to use the word Mad Max because we're right. But it's that whole, yeah, it's that whole kind of uh, uh, tribal society, uh, apocalyptic kind of dystopic thing. And uh, what you're doing is you have three camps um, of your own, three kind of uh, 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 home bases that have their powers. And uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to destroy e it's each other's three bases. And whoever destroys the three bases first wins. It's straightforward kind of a skirmish fight game kind of thing. And uh, it's all about cards and it's all about using your water resources to pay for cards to come in to protect. There's people that can come in there's events that can get triggered uh there's this there's synergistic uh application of uh these little micro engines that can work right um without getting crazy deep on it because I, I know i gushed over cascadia but uh i yeah i was i was immediately uh connected to understanding the point of this game and how to play it and it was so much fun we played three games back to back and it was uh it was, I could have played another three games and had just as much fun. Now I can see where the, 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 the memory, not the memorization, but the understanding of the deck of what's out there, how you could go, you know, card chasing kind of thing. But, uh, I, you know, it's, it's a rare occasion where I get to play a game multiple times, let alone memorize cards, right? So, uh, I would, and, I think Ryan said that it was like a $25 game. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I go get that game. It's a two-player skirmish kind of head-to-head -head slugfest. And 
Yeah, it's like uh, kickboxers in a phone booth, and you just pound the crap out of each other. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Uh, Radlands, I, I would uh, recommend that to anybody. Um, and uh, I'm not going to say it. It's time to round out this episode and <laughs> thank the listener, you, so much for paying attention to what we have to say and offer about board games. And always, content creators, you content creators, no, wait, is there a license to that? I, I might have to, you know, send money down to Critical Role. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you. This can't happen without your contributions and collaborations. So thank you. Thank you. And uh, can't finish it without saying, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? <laughs>